0: Today's New Testament reading is from 1 John, the third chapter. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning." Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. This is the Word of the Lord. For today's meditation on God's Word, we welcome Pastor Duncan McClellan. It
1: may not be the flashiest way to begin a sermonette, but what's a Holy Week text doing in the middle of Advent? By the time we get to Luke chapter 22, Jesus has completed his 13-chapter and counting trip from Galilee in the north to Jerusalem in the south. He has come to the Holy City, so it seems, for the annual celebration of the Passover, the reminder that God takes sin seriously. He also takes rescuing people from slavery to sin even more seriously. So, what's a Holy Week text doing in the middle of Advent? In theory, Advent is a time of waiting, waiting for Christ to come for the first time on Christmas and waiting for Christ to come again at a time known only by the Father. But in reality, Advent is a hectic time, beginning with Thanksgiving leftovers and including shopping, family pictures, if you are so inclined, trips to see Santa, family travel plans, and then adapting those plans to accommodate unaccommodating weather, Christmas or holiday pageants at school, additional worship services at church, and obligatory Christmas parties at every organization you have had even casual contact with over the last 12 months, which should be a time of reflection and patient-waiting quickly becomes the grown-up version of the children's meltdown in the back of the family minivan ten minutes into an eight-hour drive. Advent quickly devolves into a hectic survival mode season. What should be a cause for solemn reflection and joyful celebration, the coming together of God's people from the ends of the earth to remember Yahweh's past and hope for future deliverance of his people, quickly becomes a hectic survival mode trip to the Holy Land for Jesus and his disciples. He weeps over the city, he cleanses the temple, he is challenged and plotted against by the very authorities who unknowingly longed for his coming. He proclaims the resurrection to people who deny it, he predicts the destruction of the temple to people who worshipped it, and he admonishes his disciples to be ready and watch. And in the background, his demise is plotted and planned by those for whom he was the prophesied Savior. And in our text, what should be an enjoyable, meaningful meal among friends who traveled far and long to celebrate the Passover turns into a somber occasion for a man who knows his time is short. The text begins with the Jewish leadership conspiring as to how they might kill Jesus. Their reasons stem from a need to maintain the status quo and a failure to believe that God is at work in Jesus, that he is the Christ, the Savior of the world. The chaos continues, as Judas, one of the twelve, is possessed by the devil, and who conspires with the enemies of Jesus, agreeing to betray him. The chaos continues, as Jesus has to give detailed instructions to his disciples to produce a room in which they may eat the Passover, needing to rely on a mixture of divine power and foreknowledge to accomplish an otherwise simple task. But then the moment comes. After a long trip and a chaotic week in the holy city, Jesus is able to finally recline at table with his disciples. We know what happens next. Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, his body and blood, bread and wine, given as a way to remember his death, proclaim it until he comes again, participate in his body and blood and look forward to that day when we will drink the fruit of the vine with him in his kingdom. The Lord's Supper, the sacrament of the altar, communion, whatever you call it, begins here, as our Lord makes his last stop along the road that would lead to his passion, suffering, and death. That is, for us, our only hope for forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation. But it is only for a moment, as Luke is careful to record all that Jesus said, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, but behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me at the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. Things quickly leave the comfortably reclined, grace-filled words of institution and return to the chaotic tempo that has saturated Jesus' Holy Week and our Advent. Our journey to the Holy House, where we offer God our worship and praise, does not include dusty and dangerous trade routes through Samaria, but our road to the sanctuary of the Church is littered by dangerous, difficult, and chaotic times. We come to the Lord's table, having betrayed him, not with a kiss at night in the garden, but with our thoughts, words, and deeds out in the open, denying our new creation that he has made us to be. We come as sinners, with the blood of Jesus on our hands, our sin not even needing to be enticed by the promise of 30 pieces of silver. But Jesus comes and invites us to recline with him at table, These wounds, through his hands and feet, bear witness that the past is forgiven and forgotten. No longer defined by the worst things we have done, but by his word. The new covenant in his blood poured out for us. And in the middle of the chaos of our lives, especially at Advent, he gives us the bread and the wine, his body and blood. The body and blood that were broken and shed on Good Friday but also the body and blood that conquered death on the third day and now sits at the Father's right hand and has been given all authority. The body and blood that will raise our body and blood from the dead when he comes again in his second advent.